Hello and welcome to the Perth Prem Premier League Review Show. This is your host, Mike, and today I'm joined by Michael. How are you, Michael? Yeah, well, thanks, Mike. How are you? Yeah, good, mate. Good to be back. Obviously, we've been off the air for, for a couple of weeks. You know, life gets in the way sometimes. So uh, it's nice to be back chatting about the football. Um, so we've got, a, obviously, a big show today. Plenty to cover, um, plenty to talk about. We probably won't get through everything over the last... Uh, you know, three or four games. Obviously, there's been quite a bit happening between with the passing of the Queen as well. So there's a lot to talk about. Um, we're going to talk about uh, some of the managerial sackings because there's been a couple since last time we spoke. Um, and we're just going to talk about maybe not so much the results, but just some of the teams and uh, the impressive ones and, and the disappointing ones because um, there's been some really impressive ones and some, uh, you know, really disappointing ones as well. Uh, we're going to bring back the rapid fire stats. We're going to, you know, keep consistent and uh, chat about some of the stats from the past couple of weeks. Um, as I mentioned, the Queen passing. So we're going to talk about the fixture pile up and what that might mean for the Premier League. Um, and then we're going to have a look at the league table to wrap up and just see how the stats charts are sort of shaping up as well over the first seven games of the season. So, um, Michael, just to get into it, mate. Um, what's caught your eye over the last few weeks of Premier League football? Obviously, lots going on, lots happened. But what's something that's caught your eye? Um, Arsenal, actually, at top of the league. Uh, they, they keep impressing me. Um, 3-0 at Brentford, great result. Uh, they were dominating the ball. Uh, I've just actually finished watching uh, Amazon's uh, All or Nothing for Arsenal Football Club. Uh, and you can see in the initial stages, Arteta, um, what he's doing behind the scenes, the way he's he handled the Aubameyang situation. Uh pretty much he got rid of him from the club by himself um, to build that culture, to build it. This is the respect. Um, this is the level you have to be as a person, not only as a football player, um, to represent the shirt of Arsenal. Um, many great legends in the past, Henri Bergkamp, have done in the past. Um, obviously, they moved away from Highbury, but they're finally, finally settling into the new home at the Emirates. Uh, and is he the understudy to Pep? Um, he might be Pepper 2.0 at the moment. He's doing really well. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's doing a, a pretty good job. And I think Arsenal, um, the board, we kind of spoke about it previously. I think they've, you know, the faith that they've shown in him has certainly been rewarded at the moment. Um, again, I'm not too sure whether their title challenges so much, but um, you know, the start they've made, they're definitely going to give themselves a really good shot. Um, you know, for me, I think just generally speaking, it's going to be. I think, you know, just judging by some of the results from the top clubs, from clubs in the, uh, you know, the middle half of the league, the bottom half of the league, I think it's going to be a really difficult season. It's going to be, a, you know, a much closer season at the top as well um, compared to previous years. Just, I think, with the World Cup thrown into the mix and, um, you know, it, it's probably going to throw a bit of a spanner in the works. I think you've had some really inconsistent teams. I think, you know, my team, Man City's doing quite well, but... I wouldn't say we've quite hit peak fitness yet or, you know, peak form, but we're getting the results. Maybe even the same with Spurs, but they're still getting the results. Obviously, Liverpool started quite poorly. Um, Manchester United looked like they're, you know, stabilising to some extent. So, uh, for me, I think it's, um, I think this season is going to be one of the more interesting ones that we've had um, in recent years. So, um, obviously, again, like I said, it's been a while um, between podcasts. So since we last spoke, we've had a couple of uh, managerial sackings. So um, I'll get your thoughts on them in just a second. So obviously, Scott Parker has left uh, Bournemouth. 
um, after his comments that he made about the board and perhaps their lack of transfer activity. Um, Thomas Tuchel as well, that's quite a big one. Um, I know that's that's raised a lot of talking points and a lot of discussion in the media. Um, what are your thoughts on these two departures? Um, and, you know, did the clubs make the right calls? I think Bournemouth have picked up since Scott Parker's left. And Chelsea, again, it's probably too small of a sample size just yet to see how Potter's going to get on. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to start first with Chelsea. That that um, decision shocked me. I think it shocked a lot of the football world. Uh, considering what he did in Europe, he obviously won in the Champions League over City in the final. Uh, but the way he structured his team um, to win him um, not only that game but but in that tournament um, against Real Madrid in two legs, uh, he was had a really perfect cohesive unit at the back through the midfield um, supporting um, and the likes of Havertz so he didn't play like a all-out number nine he had Lukaku um, but that didn't work but he still made the other piece of the puzzle work like Raheem Sterling when he was at City uh, Firmino at Liverpool uh, Havertz at Chelsea so that they found another option uh, it wasn't good enough apparently for the Chelsea owners, and it's, it's it's a bit of a shock to me by the way they want to run at a football club, even with a new manager, uh, new owner now. Sorry, um, having the Brembridge left, uh, they're still like they're operating in the same manner, and I think it's at a detriment to the club. I think um, it's interesting because for me, I don't know if you if you agree with this, but I think Thomas Tuchel is a great manager um, in cup competitions, but I don't think he's quite shown the ability to maintain. Um, a standard of football over the course of a season. Um, I think, you know, obviously they had that real honeymoon period where they look really defensively solid and obviously they've lost some of those players who have made that team defensively solid. But um, I think they've been quite poor for quite a long time. And a lot of people are surprised, but maybe might sound controversial, but me not so much because I think Chelsea have been poor for, for quite a while now. Um However, usually Chelsea will bring in a manager who's won, who's proven, who has success. And I think it'll be interesting to see how the players respond in that dressing room to someone like Graham Potter, although he's done an excellent job at Brighton. Um, you know, someone who's still relatively unproven. So I think that'll be um, interesting. And um, yeah. just quickly touch on uh, Mike or Michael. Uh, Scott Parker, what do, you, what do you think of that one? Uh, yeah, that, that's another interesting call. I think it was the right call. And my opinion, they have bounced back. I think they've got up to eight points in the league now. They're at 12th, so just under Leeds United in the 11th spot, under Newcastle at 10th. So then that mid part of the table, which is really, really good for them, um, considering the likes of Leicester, um, one point, so the seven points clear already of them, uh, and four points clear of West Ham, who are 18th of the relegation. With Bournemouth, I think, yeah, they have some ambition by being just newly promoted, them staying up is an absolute win for them. And in the moment now, having got rid of the manager, those extra three, four points they've done um, on the bounce uh, might prove to be those points at the end of the season, which the points to keep them up. Yeah, absolutely, mate. All right, let's not um, waste too much more time on the managerial sacking. So I'm sure we'll touch on some of this stuff a little bit later on anyway. Um, so now it's time for you know the best segment in podcast football rapid fire stats all right so let's get it going hey so all righty so neil mope has ended his longest run of premier league appearances without a goal 12 
The Frenchman has scored in all three of his Premier League starts against West Ham. So that's an interesting one. Um, 15. So, age 15 years and 181 days, Ethan Nwanieri is the first player under the age of 16 to ever play in the Premier League. He surpasses Harvey Elliott, your man, Michael, as <laughs> the competition's youngest ever player. So, I'll get your thoughts on that in a moment. Uh, Bukayo Saka has been directly involved in 36 Premier League goals for Arsenal, 18 goals and 18 assists, now the second most of any player aged 21 or younger for the club in the competition, overtaking Nicolas Anelka and Chesk Fabregas. So some big names there. Yeah, Human Sons Treble was the fourth hat-trick Tottenham has scored against Leicester City in the Premier League. No side has netted more against a specific opponent in the competition. Tottenham's 17 points from their seven Premier League games this season is their joint best record at this stage of a campaign, level with 2016-2017 when they finished runners-up. It's a great start by Antonio Conte's side. Uh, Leicester's 22 goals conceded is the most any side has shipped after seven games of a Premier League season and the most in a top flight since 1965-1966, which is West Ham. So a little bit of trouble there. James Madison has been directly involved in 24 goals since the start of 21-22 season. 15 goals, 9 assists. The only English player with more in this time is Harry Kane. So perhaps an England talking point there. And there were 10 different Portuguese starters against Wolves and Manchester City. So 7 for Wolves and 3 Manchester City. We all know Wolves are a mini Portugal. From a non-specific English nation to start a Premier League game. And the last one, Kevin De Bruyne has been directly involved in 150 goals in the Premier League. So 58 goals, 92 assists, and just 217 appearances, which I'm sure you saw, Michael, has uh, trumped Gerard's record by quite some way. So, look, there is a couple more. There's there's some Erling Haaland ones, but, you know, I won't bore everyone with uh, the Erling Haaland stats. So, Mike, Michael, uh, what was one of the stats there that caught your eye? Uh, Tottenham start. Uh, they have an Arsenal next game uh, away at the Emirates, I believe. Um, so that is going to be an absolute mammoth task. But uh, Conte, as I said, again, um, in the pre-season prediction show, I think he is the right person for the job. He's proven it at the moment. And having the likes, uh, and hopefully we come to this later in the pod, uh, of a Hong Song Hyung Min song on the bench, um, <laughs> making him hungry, coming on uh, scoring that quicker. Uh, hat-trick so uh he he's keeping the right plays and the right moments for the right occasions um and it's scary yeah absolutely um look for me probably one of the more interesting ones is leicester's 22 goals conceded i think they've been really really poor um you know it's probably a good segue into the next section really um you know brendan rogers is you know is it his fault um is it is it the board's fault um, because, you know, I feel like he's been, it's probably been a bit unfair on him because, you know, you lost someone of the quality of uh, Cash for Michael, who's a leader, obviously on and off the pitch and obviously a, a steady set of hands in goal. You know, for me, that's that's extremely poor by Leicester. Although Danny Ward is obviously a reasonable goalkeeper. For me, he's, he's a number two. He's nothing else. He's a number two in the Premier League. He's probably yeah. starting for championship sides, but he's not a Premier League goalkeeper, not of Leicester's. You know, not a team of uh, Leicester standing. So no, yeah, structurally they look really weak at the back. Uh, again, Rogers tinkering with formation when stuff doesn't go right. Um, I think we said this in a previous pod. He did that at Liverpool, so I saw it firsthand for a new number of games. And uh, I think two, at least two of the um, six goals conceded against Tottenham were a direct uh, turnovers um, in the defensive third. Um, so 
they need, need something to do something fast, otherwise he'll be the next manager being sacked in the Premier League. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing. It's, it's a really difficult one, isn't it, I suppose? I mean, um, like I said, the club's struggling financially um, and Rogers probably has his hands tied. But I don't know if you've seen some of his press conferences, but he, he doesn't look quite jovial. He doesn't look happy. He doesn't, you know, just it looks, just looks like a man who's... um who's kind of dead and buried. And um, it's sad to see because I think he is a good manager and he's done really, really good things with Leicester. But unfortunately, at the moment, if they continue this way, I mean, they're going to set Premier League records for most goals conceded and, and you know, points tallies and all that sort of stuff. I'm, I'm sure they've got the quality to get themselves out of it. But, I mean, the way they're going, it's, it's going to be, um, you know, a really, really poor season for them. And the expectations of the fans um, may be a bit higher than, than what they're achieving right now. Um, and yeah, it'd be interesting to see how that all pans out. And you look, look, who are they going to get in? Because they're going to have to pay Rogers' contract out, um, and then they're going to have to obviously appoint a new manager. So I think you know how that unfolds is going to be really interesting from a financial perspective. Given Leicester are obviously struggling in that regard as well. Um, another team that I want to talk about has been pretty average of late, given their you know um, recent success is West Ham because. At the moment, they they are. If I'm not wrong, they are bottom of the table, or at least in the bottom three. I'll just double yeah, I that. think they're 18th at the 18th. moment, Mike. Four points. They only scored three goals, and they've shipped nine, drawn one, won one, and lost five. So, um, what do you make of uh, West Ham start? Yeah, it's terrible. Uh, uh, having thought um, they would continue their form on for the back in the last season into the start of this campaign, uh, they've done the complete opposite. Uh, they don't look like they're creating anything going forward. There's no firepower. And uh, if you don't have that, hopefully the defence will hold you in good stead so you can build on it um, and then eventually things will click. The defence kind of in hold up. So once you start going goals behind, the pressure is on, and then there's no fluid football going forward. So they, they're in a mess at the moment, Mike. Yeah, I mean, look, they've signed some good players on paper. I mean, they've obviously kept hold of Declan Rice, which I think is massive for them. I, I don't know whether he stays beyond this season. Um, but, you know, the core of that team um, that's got them where they have is, is still there. And obviously, I mean, David Moyes has mentioned, oh, well, we're playing, you know, Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday. But... You know, you've got to cope with that. And unfortunately, you've seen with clubs in the past, like West Ham, you've seen it with Burnley, um, seen it with Wolves as well. Teams tend to struggle when, you know, they do well in a league and then they have to um, balance that with European competition. Yeah. Um, Well, at the end of last season, well, during the big part of last season, uh, in the Europa League, they did have to compete with the um, fixture build-up. So the three, four-day turnaround. Uh, The smaller, like clubs, as you say, they, they, they do struggle with that. Um, and then when it becomes around, well, not this year, but typically in England, uh, the end of December, around the Boxing Day fixtures, um, New Year's Day, when they start playing those uh, two, th- three games in a week, week and a half, that's when you see the smaller squads, the lesser like teams struggle. Um, the bigger teams, even though they're overworked, they're built for that. They have the squad, they have the players, they have the training regime um, to actually just go play, go play, no training in between. These smaller light teams, they need that training, they need that rest. Um, yeah, West Ham probably should be better than the other teams that are right now, 
but it's, I don't think Moise should be using that as an excuse. No, definitely not. And like I said, they make good signings. I mean, Lucas Paqueta, I haven't seen a whole heap of him, but he, by all accounts, is a great player. Kind of one of those players that you sign on FIFA and you hear about from FIFA. But, um, you know, he's got a pretty good reputation. He's in the Brazil squad. Um, you know, they've signed Skamaka as well for quite big money from uh, Sassuolo in Italy. Um, but he's yet to really get a start as well. And I'm still seeing the likes of Michel Antonio starting. And no problems with that. But, you know, he's kind of carried that that team and that attack for the past few seasons. He spent $45 million on Skamaka. Why? I just don't understand why you wouldn't just, just throw him in there. And, you know, the Premier League's di- different to Italy, different pace, completely, you know, the way it's played is completely different. But he spent that much money on someone. Surely you've got to throw him in there and just give T- Antonio a bit of a spell. Yeah, um, well, it's a lot more physical, but the physical demands are the, the, off the pitch, um, on the training field, getting ready for that next match uh, is what Antonio um, and the Premier League strikers in the system are used to. The people that are coming from Italy, it's a slower place game. Uh, the training is slower. Everything reflects. So what you do in training, you emulate on the pitch. So the likes of Scamata, uh, Nunez, they, they take a little bit longer to pick up the pace. Uh, they're just unfamiliar with this type of league. Um, um, but yeah, well, Holland's a phenomenon. Um, uh, and I'm not sure if he's part machine. But the difference is uh, he doesn't need to do so much work off the ball. City always in possession. Um, so I think everything's right with City. All they needed was someone to tap the ball in the back of the net. The difference between him and, say, Liverpool's early start of the season, we can't gain control of the midfield, so our forwards are not getting any uh, service. Whereas the likes of City, um, they had, yeah, they had a false nine that dropped in the midfield, um, supported that midfield, so you maybe lost a little bit of control. But the likes of De Bruyne, um, they regain it back and they just keep that um, football ticking over and Haaland's tapping goals everywhere. Yeah, well, uh, let's quickly talk about City because, uh, again, we've already said not Liverpool and City podcast, but City are part of the Premier League, so are Liverpool. Um, personally, it's been a bit strange this season because we've been getting results. I wouldn't say we've been playing poorly, maybe maybe not at our scintillating best just yet. And maybe it's because we've changed things up a little bit. You just mentioned a really good point there. Michael about maybe losing that midfielder because we had players sort of all over the place last season up up front and they would kind of drop into midfield. Whereas Harlan's shown glimpses of him of him doing that, but he hasn't. You know, he's he's definitely not like having a Phil Foden or a Bernardo Silva there where they can you know pass the ball and you know control the play. Um, I don't know. I just want to ask you about Harlan. Do you reckon he could break the the Premier League goals record if he continues to play? Or is he going to slow down at some point? Uh, you think he would slow down, but he's not showing any signs. Um, his, his stats are phenomenal. Um, what's he on, 11 goals at the moment? I think. Yeah, 11 goals. Uh, I, I saw a little uh, info chart um, of his trajectory, or predicted anyway, trajectory of his um, predicted goals after the 38-game mark in the EPL season. Uh, he'd way in front of the record at this point. Uh, it's absolutely scary. Uh, you think oh, he can't he can't put another couple of goals in this week. You, you look on your phone, look at the result. Boom, who was it? It was Haaland again in the Champions League. Who was it? Haaland's broken another record. Uh, I think he's got more goals uh, at his age um, than Messi, Neymar, 
uh, Mbappe ever did in the Premier, um, in the um, Champions League. Ronaldo uh, as well. <laughs> Ronaldo as well. So he's uh, breaking every single record possible. Um, so he's absolutely every chance. Uh, if he does that, they'll easily win the league. Yeah, it's just really hard with my blue-tinted spectacles. It's nice to hear someone else's thoughts on it because, I mean, for me, he's been incredible. You know, people, for some reason, just like to find the negatives and things and say, oh, he only touches the ball 30 times a game. Uh, he had a little he, quote that I read. Uh, he goes, yeah. my my perfect dream or what I dream of is to touch the ball five times a game and score five goals. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, in his yeah. mind, he doesn't really care and that's fair play. I think, I think he's answered that the right way, though, because, you know, you start – feeding into that narrative, oh, I need to do more, I need to do this. But at the end of the day, he's scoring goals, and that, that's what he's been brought in to do. And I'm sure Pep would like to make him a more well-rounded player, but he's shown glimpses, um, definitely. I mean, you probably wouldn't have watched, watched a lot of the City games, but he has dropped uh, in. I, I, I picked up the last game. He did. He dropped in the midfield. He, he, he the, the defender um, peeled off him. He gave him a lot of space. He, he went on his uh, non-preferred foot, the right, outside the box. Didn't even hit it right, and it rolled into the back of the net. So, uh, you, the best strikers in the world, uh, or even coming up against uh, um, Oblak or Degay in his prime, um, you feel like you need to put the ball uh, as a striker in the postage stamp to get a goal. I think it's the same with um, when Haaland's coming at you, you feel the opposite. You feel the striker's uh, power in that moment. It's like, wow, he's got the ball. He usually puts in the back of the net. Uh, their footwork, um, their anticipation, uh, their basic routine of these goalkeepers, I think they slightly go off mentally. And boom, wasn't even a good shot. Harlan, another goal. Yeah, absolutely, man. I think, um, yeah, oh, it's, I mean, it's great to have him, obviously. And um, like you say, doesn't even have to hit him well for him to go into the net at the moment. Can't do anything wrong. I think it's just a matter of whether he stays fit. I actually saw that, that one of the City physios has been appointed to Norway's medical staff on the recommendation <laughs> of Haaland. So, I mean, ridiculous stuff that uh, professional footballers that, you know, can request. But I think, you know, City are going to be really cautious with him. I'm surprised he started and, and played 90 minutes as regularly as he has, um, given the form of Alvarez as well, because I think Alvarez hasn't got enough credit purely because of Haaland. But, um, uh, Alvarez is 72 pace on FIFA, Michael, I think. So, uh, mate, that's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> that's FIFA, EA, sort it out, mate. I'm not buying it. I didn't buy last FIFA, so on the basis of that. Anyways, um, all right. So you spoke about Arsenal and um, Arteta, obviously, and we we did touch on Conte. Um, I said I'm not too sure yet whether they could be title challengers, but Conte's got a proven record of, of winning trophies, winning leagues. Um, Arteta, obviously, still a young manager, but doing quite well. Do you think Arsenal and Tottenham could be... And I'm not going to rule Liverpool out because I'm never going to rule Liverpool out. But do you think, at the moment, the way things stand, do you think that they're the two most likely challenges to City? Or do you think things are going to balance out in the next five to six games and, and obviously Liverpool will pick up and some of the other teams around around the top six, top eight? I think it will uh, it'll be in a few months before we see um, who are the challenges to City. I think it's way too early to predict that. But on the the amount of points and the form um, going into the first few games of the league season, uh, it is Arsenal and Tottenham who are fighting for those second and third places. Uh, if if these uh, were the teams and this is the place we were with five games to go, I would put my money on Conte to win the league. I think Arteta, the way he collapsed 
uh, and his team collapsed um, at the end of last season, not to get Champions League football. I think that could happen again. They look really, really good now. They're putting the points in the bank. Um, they're on the board. You can't take that away from them. But as soon as that pressure comes into play, uh, as soon as the games mean that little bit more, um, I think Arsenal will buckle. However, if they do extend a healthy lead up until that point, they could ride that wave like Leicester did. But if it's neck and neck, I think the likes um, of City, who are experienced, or an experienced manager in Conte, can direct their team um, to glory over Arsenal because of a Teta and the, what he hasn't really won in the Premier League as a manager. Yeah, look, it would be interesting. I think um, remains to be seen. I think first 10 to 15 games, teams are kind of figuring themselves out, seeing where they sit, and then you kind of get a clearer picture of it. And it's obviously going to be that that Christmas uh, run-in as well that's going to sort of determine things. Um, And obviously the World Cup, we we really don't know because it's unprecedented, really. Um, We don't know how that's going to impact the teams and the momentum of teams. You know, a team could come back... um, from the World Cup and have five, you know, four or five players from the first team injured and that could really um, unsettle and derail things. So I think depth players are going to be really important this season. Tottenham signed a few more depth players um, and, you know, have, making sure they're in rhythm and they've got minutes as well. So, yeah. uh, look, it's going to be exciting to see how that all pans out. Um, just quickly as well, on Arsenal, um, it's caused quite a bit of debate. I sometimes listen to the English radio station TalkSport and... You know, the hot topic at the moment is whether Mikel Arteta should have given um, the 15-year-old <laughs> Malcolm... I can't remember his name now. Malcolm Nuanieri, um, his debut. They seem to think it might be, you know, a hindrance to his development. I don't know what you think, Michael, but for me, I've got absolutely no problem with it. He's 15 years old, and if he's shown he's good enough in training and he's shown that he's, he's got talent and potential, you know, maybe two or three minutes isn't really going to do much for him in terms of development, but just to get him out there and maybe keep him hungry um, to sort of push on and have that in the next few years might not be such a bad thing. I, I don't see how it could be a negative thing personally, but I just... Yeah, if they went top of the league, I don't think he would have uh, debuted um, that type of player. Um, and in considering um, how they were going in the game as well, so I was sort of a risk-free substitution and having five now in the Premier League. Uh, compared to people uh, like Cesc Fabregas, who... Uh, uh, got his debut quite young. Uh, Steven Gerrard uh, in Barcelona, Asua Fati, I think he pronounced his name. Uh, he's gone along and now he's, uh, I think he's got the number 10 shirt over there. So even though he's young, Jude Bellingham, 19 years old, uh, these teenagers uh, of, the, of the world game are hitting and, and stamping a position, stamping their mark on their team um, and not as a bit part player, as a main player. So if he's got the potential, uh, I think it's really, really good experience. Um, but wow, 15 years old. What- All right. So obviously, Mikel Arteta gave the debut to the 15-year-old. Uh, again, we, we said we don't think it's um, such a bad move. Um, and obviously, just yeah, given their position in the league table, a risk-free substitution at 3-0. Um, I don't see any harm in that one there. So let's move on. Um, last sort of bit. Um, talking about the results and some of the teams. I just want to talk about Nottingham Forest because we had them as our surprise team in our um, you know, a preview pod. And I still think they could be our surprise team. And I think they made a, a decent start. But 
over the last couple of weeks, couple of results. They lost obviously six nil to uh, City. They, I think it's twice now they've dropped a two goal lead um, and lost three two. Obviously lost to recently promoted Fulham as well. We've made an excellent start, by the way. We've touched on them previously, so I won't spend too much time. Um, but, you know, just looking at the number of signings again, I know it's probably getting boring, this kind of conversation around the signings. And obviously Rich, who we've spoken to as a podcast before and um, been on his show, the Nottingham Forest podcast, um, has kind of said, you know, um, the reason why they've signed so many players is because of the amount of loan players that they had in the side, which made up a lot of the core of their side. Um, but, you know, there's calls now for Steve Cooper to be sacked and some Nottingham Forest fans I'm seeing on my social media, I don't know if you've seen much of this, Michael, but um, calling for Steve Cooper to be sacked. I mean, surely a manager who got them from, you know, the bottom of the championship when he took over to the Premier League needs to be given more time because... I said this um, because I went on, again, the Nottingham Forest podcast and gave my thoughts as a Man City fan um, a few weeks ago when we played them. And I said, you know, it's really unfair on, or it's really hard on any manager, whether it's Pep, Klopp, Conte, anyone, um, you know, to have 22 new players on the training ground and try to bed them in and figure out their strengths and weaknesses, particularly at this time of the season when you really don't have too much time to sort of, um, you know, keep your feet, get your feet, get sorted um, and... It's really a time where you should know your best team, but I I don't think Steve Cooper is going to know his best team for a while, given the the sheer number of signings there. So, do you think it's um poor from Nottingham Forest, or do you think it's just a matter of time before they sort of gel together? What's your thoughts, Michael? Yeah, um, I think that's the nature of the uh, the, the Premier League uh, business that we're in. It's cutthroat, uh, and the betting in period for these pay- players are. Uh, is necessary, but I think that's at a cost to uh, Nottingham Forest, who have been promoted. Um, the fans, uh, they don't want to see their team uh, be demoted again, relegated uh, into the leagues that they've been accustomed to of late. Um, they're finally back to the pinnacle of English football, and they want to stay there for as long as possible. Uh, they don't know when they're going to get back again. It, it was so long previously, obviously. Um, with the players that they've signed, uh, they are good. They're a lot better than what they had. However, um, they don't know each other. They don't. They haven't played with each other. They haven't played under this manager. They haven't played under this league. There's so many unknown factors for them uh, moving into the country, uh, uh, <laughs> who they share their house with. Um, so all these little bits behind the scenes, unfortunately, is working for the likes of uh, Fulham, who were kept a little bit more of a... Um, a squad uh, that has not as interrupted um, by signings um, a new system uh, like Nottingham Forest. And uh, Cooper, uh, I think, give him more time. Um, he brought back the glory days for their football club, so that can't be uh, not seen by the, um, the faithful uh, that support Nottingham. However... I, I think we've, we've got the wrong team in the wrong position. Uh, we thought Nottingham were going to be that surprise bracket. Maybe it is Fulham. Uh, maybe it is Leeds United that keep up there, not the ones going down. Yeah. Uh, and they better do something really quickly because they won't last. These managers won't last because they need to pick up points. as simple as that. I just think as well, though, again, if you sack the manager, who are you going to get in? What's the manager going to do? Because you're going to be back at square one for me. Um, the, the, the difference, you know, sorry to add, but in there, Michael, but uh, uh, 
I think it's a sort of about the short-term gain for these types of clubs. They, they, their aim is not to win it. Their aim is not to build a philosophy of this amazing football like they did that needs to win them um, the championship to get promoted. So they don't need to show a consecutive amount of 30-whatever games uh, and good football grinding these points out to get them up. You get rid of a manager, you have that new manager bounce. I think the the uh, the new Premier League uh, bounce, as you sort of call it, for this for this promoted side has worn off a bit, um, and they haven't got as many points as they would have liked. If you get rid of that manager um, and bring in a new one, those if they get two wins, that's six points, six massive points for that football club to the end of the season, which can go a long way. So it's not really about the 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 length of the longevity of their football philosophy at the moment is just picking out as many points any which way penalties hanging on for their life one nil victories whatever it takes that is the premier league look i mean yeah whilst i agree with that obviously i'm sure the sole sort of ambition of the club is to stay up i don't think it um you know again the clubs need to these sort of clubs and this is where they run themselves into trouble and you know, they need to look further than the short term and sort of think about the long term Shima things. You know, um, like I say, I think I think no matter if you get someone else in, it's going to be back to square one. Um, and you know, I think the risky thing for Nottingham Forest is if they do go down and they signed all these players. You know, you've <laughs> played Champions League, Renan Lodi for Atletico Madrid, um, obviously Omar Richards. I mean, some of these players aren't going to want to stay. I don't think as well. So yeah, if you look at the league table, Michael, um, the teams are in and around them. So Leicester City, you'd assume they'd pick up more points than not um, coming up. Same for West Ham, considering how they ended last season. But just above them, out of the relegation, we have Wolves in 17th, Crystal Palace 16th, um, Villa in 15th, Southampton 14th, Everton 13th. So those number of teams just above them, uh, all fighting for a place in the Premier League. Um, you'd assume uh, Crystal Palace will pick up points. Wolves, um, they're quite good um, at uh, grinding out those little victories. Um, the pressure on the likes of Gerard um, to, at Villa to um, keep them ticking over. And all of a sudden, you're saying, who's going to drop into the the bottom three if they're not? Yeah, not careful. Yep. Um yeah, look, it's interesting. I, and you look at teams like West Ham as well, you think they would pick up at some point. I can't see them going down. Wolves are an interesting one. I think they're lower than you'd probably put them. I think they've got, um, for me, a really, really blunt attack. And I saw that against City. Um, but obviously got such an outstanding defence. Um, so, yeah, look, it'd be interesting. Um, but I think, yeah, Nottingham Forest just have to kind of persevere here and just whatever step they do take next, they have to get it right because, you know, they're going to leave themselves in probably further trouble if they, as I say, they've signed all these players of, of such quality and, you know, then they get relegated to the championship. For me, I think they just need to give Steve Cooper a little bit more time um, and just let it, let him and his team get the bearings and gel together because I think it's done a remarkable job there um, overall. Um, okay, so... Without spending too much more time on the teams, um, just wary of time here, Michael. So, just wanted to speak about obviously the Queen's passing um, has had its implications on sport. Obviously, a lot of sports still did go ahead uh, throughout the UK um, and obviously across the world, but um, the Premier League was one sport that was affected. And 
Um, I'm just looking at it now. Maybe it's quite selfish for me. And obviously, being Australian, the Queen's still significant here because we're a Commonwealth country. But for me, I don't think the game should have been cancelled. I think it's probably in the best interest of the Premier League to go ahead um, from the sort of viewpoint of fixture congestion, fixture pileup with the World Cup. I just can't. I just can't see how games are going to be fit in here. And you know, just in some ways, it does kind of show that the league doesn't really care about the players too much because you're going to see injuries and you're going to lessen the quality of the, the league and the players on the show. Yeah, um, this is a difficult uh, topic, to be honest, uh, to make these calls about. Uh, it's an event that is uh, iconic. It won't be forgotten. Um, and the, the thing that um, conflicts my thoughts is uh, a few days after um, the England uh, Test cricketers, um, they resumed their Test series over in the UK. Uh, so rugby was cancelled, football was cancelled, uh, but the, the cricket was uh, resumed. Um, so I don't understand how it's not a blanket rule. Yeah, they've got different associations, but you're marking it out of respect for the Queen. Um, I don't know how that went on. Regarding the Premier League specifically, the weekend fixture that got cancelled as a whole, that makes a little bit of sense in my mind. Uh, but the weekend after um, where they resumed fixtures, um, the sole fact of the police, um, the limitations on the police um, and logistics behind um, policing all those games, especially in the, um, in, in, in the London um, so it was the Chelsea-Liverpool game, uh, the Brighton game, I believe the Manchester-Leeds game as well was postponed. Um, so th that, that, that's really difficult to pick up. Um, you can't do it now, uh, but I think it is in January that they're going to resume those types of fixtures for the most part. So um, having having the World Cup where it is, um, it, it, it's, it, I can't work out and I can't put it together how, where they're going to put these for the best players. Yeah, look, it's going to be a tough one. And again, it's just going to be another congested um, fixture list, which is only extrapolated by this this passing. And no disrespect to the Queen, of course. I'm just thinking, you know, it's just going to make it tougher and tougher for teams, um, you know, to fit these in. And uh, maybe a bit selfish of myself because I'm going to the UK over Christmas and I was looking to go to the Manchester Derby and now I'm a little bit worried that that might even be changed. But um you know, it's not all about uh, Michael Pissarras here, but that's all right. Um, maybe and look, maybe the FA didn't didn't have a choice. So um, you know, it was interesting because they had actually come out and said that you know uh, the football had been cancelled, and then a lot of other sports had come out and said, "Oh no, we're just going to take the day off so the cricket." Uh, and then they just resume the next day. So. Yeah, um, I think a lot, even like some top uh, pundits, uh, I think Peter Crouch um, was uh, and Gary Neville uh, were um, totally against the call. Uh, they would say, doesn't this make more of a stand? You continue the football, continue the sport, you give a minute silence, uh, you uh, really, really make it global. The, 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 the millions of people watching around the world will have this image of the queen her passing and what it means for the people for the game uh however um broadcasts were completely shut down uh no one so that that was taken out the limelight um so that, that sort of makes sense as well 
Uh, yeah, look, what I can understand as well, I mean, it was obviously tough this weekend because there was um, only some fixtures that went ahead. I mean, I didn't realise that there was a certain categories for games in terms of uh, security um, because, you know, we probably don't understand it too much here in Australia because just for context for the listeners out there, you know, I can go to an Aussie rules game and I can sit with the opposition fans, no problem. Sometimes if you go to a game over Eastern, uh, say Melbourne, um, there might be a bit of fan trouble, but it's... A, Compared to uh, football, um, the Premier League and, and maybe European football, it's it's probably it's you know much much different. So um, that was interesting. Yeah, especially and, the high know, top pro, uh, profile games, the, the say the Liverpool Chelsea game, the rivalry there. Um, the time um, like hours before the game, they let the away fans into the stadium, and sometimes even after the game. Um, so they let the home fans evacuate, um, leave the stadium first um, before then the away fans are allowed to go. Uh, yeah, it does cause um, big issues and it's understandable as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, look, I think we'll, we'll probably just about finish up there. So we're just going to have a quick look at the league table. So the way I'm going to do this is I'll probably do, we'll look at the top 10 and then we'll look at the bottom 10 so we can split the league um, I suppose in top half, bottom half, if you like, um, and then we'll just just quickly, um, you know, cast our thoughts on that. Have a look at, as I said at the top of the show, uh, the golden boot and the assists, um, and then that'll be us. So just looking at the top, we've got the Gunners, Arsenal on eighteen points. We've got City and Tottenham, um, both on seventeen points. City just ahead uh, on goal difference there. We've got Brighton in fourth place, so obviously quite high up there. Manchester United made a climb; they're in um, fifth. Uh, we've got Fulham, Chelsea, Liverpool, Brentford, and Newcastle. So, Michael, um, what are your thoughts on that? Obviously, your beloved Liverpool FC. Uh, what a shame. Eighth position. What's your thoughts on the top 10 of the table? <laughs> Sorry to rub it in, mate. Could be a t- uh, ahead of us by the end of the year. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll start with another team. Uh, Brighton, uh, they've started really well. They're a really good footballing team. Uh, they've lost their manager, so I'm really curious of how they're going to bounce that back from this one. Uh, so they still have a game in hand with uh, United, um, who uh, obviously didn't play their feature because of the postponed game. Fulham, um, they're doing really well. Uh, anywhere near that um, half of the table is only uh, helping them come the end of the season to um, stay afloat in the Premier League. Uh, the one team that's a bit hit on me is so Brentford, they're ninth. Um, and then 10th, Newcastle. So I think Newcastle will start picking up a few more points soon. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think um, expectations are probably high at St. James's Park, but, um, you know, I think their fans are probably going to have to sort of temper their expectations. It's going to take time for them to sort of be up up there and challenging. But, um, you know, they've shown glimpses, um, but just haven't quite shown consistency. I think Brentford are probably there or thereabouts where they, where they should be. Um, you know, obviously the surprises there are probably Liverpool and Chelsea quite low. Um, and then you've obviously got, Brighton, Fulham. I wouldn't say Manchester United is a massive surprise, but you know, um, given the teams below them, you could say it is. Um, and then obviously, Arsenal uh, made a good start as we kind of all expected as well. So let's just have a quick look at the bottom half of the table. So we've got Leeds in eleventh. Um, we've got Bournemouth, who've made a decent start as well. We've got Everton, Southampton, Aston Villa, uh, Crystal Palace, Wolves, West Ham, Nottingham Forest. And we've got bottom of the table, Leicester City. Um, before I get your thoughts, I, I, I'm just looking at this here. So we spoke about, obviously, the lower half of the table and some of the teams may be improving. 
um, that are in this position right now because, you know, it's hard to take too much from the first five to seven games maybe. But, um, you know, I'm looking at this and I'm going, just judging by the teams like Fulham and uh, Bournemouth, your Brentfords, because we have Brentford as a disappointing team, right? Um, you know, I'm looking at this. Usually you have some obvious candidates for, for relegation. Maybe at the moment, if not Forest continue the way they are, possibly. I think Leicester will get themselves out of a hole, but they've got to start doing that fairly soon. Um, but for me, there's not really any obvious candidates here. What, what do you think about the, the bottom half here? Do you agree or...? Well, yeah, I'm a bit worried about Leicester, to be honest. Um, when they had the pen against um, Tottenham, I think the commenter made a little call saying, uh, is this their turning point in the season? Is this their bit of luck? Because the pen got retaken because uh, the keeper came off his line. So, uh, and, and then that wasn't it. They scored two goals away um, at Spurs. Uh, you thought that's a quite a good uh, result. Um, if, but then they conceded six. So as, as long as their um, back half um, are still leaking goals, they're in massive trouble. So they're negative 12-point um, goal difference at the moment. So, for example, on 16th place, Crystal Palace, if they win their game in hand, they jump um, into the top half. They jump into 10th above Newcastle. The one team um, that's also – two teams are also on my mind, uh, Southampton and Villa. Uh, Southampton, yeah, bounced back in their last game. But I think those two teams will struggle um, come the next few games of the season. Yeah, look, it'll be interesting. I think um, Southampton's an interesting one tonight. A lot of young players um, as well. Um, and yeah, look, I think I think the Wolves down there are probably gonna, are probably going to pick up at some point um, if they if they if Diego Costa. I mean, he's not the Diego Costa that he was, you know, at the peak of his powers at Chelsea. But if he can. To provide a presence up front, I think their goal scoring issues will probably be resolved. So, there, look, um, Leicester's in a bit of trouble. Uh, I, I think they're too good to go down, but I just don't think that I think the lack of transfer activity has really hindered them and, and Brendan Rodgers, and they've got to sort that out pronto. So, um, anyways, let's let's wrap up and talk about some of the stats leaders. So, I reckon I could probably say this off the top of my head, but I am just going to double check on my foot, my bat here. Um, so let's have a look. The golden boot. I don't even need to look at this one. It is Erling Haaland on 11 goals. Um, he's got one assist as well. So he, he, he does uh, contribute to the build-up play. It's like Mario <laughs> Bellatelli. Yeah, his only assist it. for City was a, the Aguero goal. <laughs> hey, it's the one that matters, all right? Um, so, you know, I'll go through a couple of the goal scorers here because it'd be, you know, unfair on some of them. Uh, Harry Kane on six goals as well, so former City target as well. Um, Alexander Mitrovic on six goals, so you know I, we've already spoken about him in, in previous podcasts about whether he could do it in the Prem or not. Um, he's shown that he's you know he's going to be a handy contributor to Fulham's cause to stay up. Uh, we've got o- Ivan Tony on five goals, who for me really should be in that England squad at least for this set of friendlies. Uh, and then the fifth one is um, well. You've got three on five hits. So three on four goals in fifth position. You've got Jesus, Rodrigo from Leeds, and Wolf Zaha. So handy players there. Um, and Hume Sun's obviously just uh, creeping his way up after that hat-trick um, last time out. Uh, and then for the assist charts, we've got Kevin De Bruyne, Kaio Saka, Kulisevsky, Perisic, Firmino. So Firmino as well, picking up the stats there, and Bernardo Silva. So... Any surprises there? Any any thoughts? Or are you you happy to wrap it up there, Michael? 
Yeah, um, I, I think uh, the, the stats don't lie and, and the people in the top of the charts. Um, and uh, so you try to highlight the familiar one for me, that, that just comes down to the Southampton 9-0. Uh, so you're going to take that one away. That was in isolation. Um, so you, uh, everyone else uh, really pulling their weight for the teams. Yeah, absolutely, mate. So, um, look, Michael, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate. It's been great to be back talking about the Premier League, stuff that we love. Um, obviously, normally we'd uh, talk about the games and give our predictions, but I think it's too far away. You know, things get injury or <laughs> on international duty or injury to a few key players um, to change things and maybe our thoughts. So I think um, in the next couple of weeks, we'll hopefully get a bit more content out. Um and then we'll look at the the next set of games. So thanks again, Mike and um, or Michael. Uh, you've been listening to the Perth Delaprem podcast. This is your host, Michael. Uh, as always, you can check out all our social media. If you want to go to the one-stop shop for everything Perth Delaprem, you can go link.tr. <laughs> Sorry, linktr.ee forward slash Perth Delaprem. Um, you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts, all on the same handle, Perth Della Prem. Until next time, thank you for listening. Perth.